So I'm just going to pray and we'll dive into it. Father, as we look into your things today, uh, this book is amazing, um, Lord, and how you use Paul to, um, and to use his ministry, Lord, throughout the ancient world. As we read these pages, Lord, I just pray that they would jump out at us, that, Lord, you would prepare our hearts and that you would plant seeds in there. Um, that, Lord, after today, that, Lord, we would see your amazing grace and, Lord, just the things that you have done and your plans throughout all of time. Uh, Lord, you are sovereign. Your grace is amazing. And so as we get into this text, Lord, be with me as I speak. May I knock it in front of these words. Um, but Lord, use me uh, and humble me. You are good. Your love endures forever. Amen. Uh, so we're in Ephesians today. Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 14. So if you're able to stand, uh, we're going to read this together. Um, and then we'll dive in. So that's Ephesians 1, uh, 1 to 14. <clears throat> it says... Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, this is a massive text. Um, there is a lot involved in here. Um, we are not going to be able to dive into the depths of each individual. Almost every word in this text is significant and ties to uh, a massive story. So we're not going to be able to tie into everything, but I want to fly over and we want to grasp the, the, the crux of this, this passage and this book and the, the world, really. Um, so most of us can probably point to times in our lives where we have had things happen to us that significantly alter the path of our life. Um, I remember when I was young, uh, I was in, when I was in school, I was a, I was a pretty, pretty heavy troublemaker. Um, and not just like I was talking out in class, like I spent time, I was arrested when I was in grade eight. Um, I sold illicit substances out of my locker. I made just a myriad of decisions, um, that were, that were on my path to total destruction. And, uh, I met a teacher, his name was Mr. Ryzen, and he was the only teacher who could handle all these kids. So I was in this gym class, and there was about 10 of us, and all of us kids that were in that class were pretty troubled students. Um, and he pulled me aside one day, and he said to me, Matt, uh, if you fail to plan, plan to fail. And I remember thinking, and Mr. Ryzen always respected him because he looked at you as a student, as a person, as a human, not your academic grades didn't make any difference to him. Um, and he took the burden of having these kids on. And I remember 
thinking, oh, I didn't really understand what it was. So I asked Mr. Risen, like, well, like, you're going to have to explain this a little more. Uh, and he says, the path that you're on, where you're on your way to right now, all the decisions that you're making are going to affect your future. And when you get there, you can look back and realize that you failed to plan. And when you're sitting in that situation, just know that that's where it began. So start now. And so I asked him what his challenge was. And he said, I want you to just try in one single class. You're a smart student, uh, and I can see that. But I want you to try in one class and just prove to yourself that you're, that you're able to do something. So I decided to take him up on the offer. Uh, I tried in one single class that was mathematics, and I got my first A. Um, I was rewarded with a single chocolate egg. Um, I thought it was a little more worthy than that, but <laughs> one chocolate egg was what I got. Um, and from that point forward, the next year, what happened was my mind shifted. I thought, wow, I can actually do these things. So when I moved on to the next grades after that, I took all the heaviest and hardest courses and aced them all. Um, it was, I was unstoppable. And that, was, that changed the course of my academic life. Um, when I got married, uh, I remember, I think the first week after we were back from our honeymoon, um, I went into a store, and I'm, I'm an eclectic kind of guy, and I'm in this kitchen store, and the, the guy talked about this knife, and it was this beautiful handmade knife from Japan, and I thought, you know what, I want it. So I bought this knife. It was expensive. And then as I was walking out the door, I was going, wait a minute. Like, I'm, I'm married now. Spending a lot of money is, I don't think I'm, I, that's, not, that's not what I, so I came home, I had to beg forgiveness from my wife because it was something that had changed me. It was a reality that changed the course of my life. No longer can I make those decisions. And then children, if anyone in the room has had children, there's nothing changes your life more than that. You don't sleep anymore. When you do sleep, what do you think about your kids and you dream about what's going to happen to them and all these sort of things. So you just, sleep is flighting from you. Um, so these are things that change your life. And then, then you, I hope for, for most of us in the room, that the one overarching one of all of them are meeting Jesus Christ is when he saved us, right? And we're going to dive into this book, and we have to look at a guy uh, who opened this book. His name's Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he met Jesus, his life was radically changed. Uh, and so I want to point out just a couple things about Paul. I'm going to try to stick to my notes, um, but if I don't and I get off topic, um, bear with me. Um, so let's look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if most of us know the story, if you've been in church for any length of time, most of us know the story of, of Paul. Um, so, Paul's original name was Saul. And it's, what, what I found really interesting is when I read this, is Paul, an apostle. So, apostle is the Greek word for sent one. It's, it, it can be used as, as an authoritative Paul, and here Paul is using it in that. Uh, but Paul actually was the sent one even before he was, when he was Saul. If, if, you, if you know back, if you go into Acts, if you, if you start out the story, you get this picture. Uh, Saul was standing there during the stoning of a guy named Stephen. And they laid their garments at his feet, and he approved of these things. And then shortly after that, the verses talk about him going to the high priest. And what he did was he got orders and authority from the high priest and was sent to go to Damascus and to round up all the Christians and to bring them back, bound in chains, okay, to be standing before this council. Obviously, there's going to be persecution involved. He was kicking indoors for doing this. So Paul was an apostle, for one, by the will of man. And it's so interesting that Paul starts out here, and now what he is saying is this is no, he's not coming with papers from the, from the high priest. Paul is coming with the authority of God, and he's making it absolutely clear here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I thought that is unbelievable. It must have been... Like, as Paul went everywhere in his, in his journey, it, 
the words in, that must have rung through his ears, I thought, must have been, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Like, a sentence that just changed his entire course of his life. And it's funny, because he's a Jewish guy, so he's going to get into, he can, everything that Paul says throughout this whole thing has these, like, they point back to the promises that were for all of time, and the story of, of Israel and, and coming out of Egypt. And those are, it's just amazing things. Um, where am I here? Okay, so to the saints who are in Ephesus. So I just wanted to point out those couple things about Paul. Um, so to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, um, it's interesting that Paul is saying that um, because uh, Ephesus was not known for its saintliness. Um, and nor are we. Uh, if we were to think about um, our last week, uh, we probably, saint probably isn't the word that comes over our minds for our overarching uh, character throughout that week. I'm sure that most of us have done things that uh, are not saintly. Uh, yet Paul says to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now what's interesting about Ephesus is that if you guys know the ancient world, it is a big and big significant city in the ancient world. It was a port city. Um, so in any port city, uh, there is a lot of trade that happens. It had three main routes that left there. So it was a mixing pot of many, many different peoples, of many, many different religions, of many, many ethnicities and all these sort of things. And it was, it was quite the melting pot there. Uh, we know that there was a Jewish synagogue there because Paul, when he first showed up, to Ephesus, he was in the synagogue, he preached there, and then was rejected out of there, and then he spent two years in the hall of Tyrannus, um, preaching to these people around. The message that Paul brought <coughs> to, Ephes- or to, the, to Ephesus at the time uh, was rich. It upended the neighborhood. Um, this, uh, this message of salvation ended up with a massive strike happening in the city, um, where the idol makers were really upset that um, people were being saved and, being, and their lives being changed by this gospel and this message. Uh, so Ephesus is a significant place. Main, uh, the main thing in Ephesus was um, Artemis of the Ephesians. She was the temple goddess there. She was what was worshipped. Um, and yet this, this saints that Paul is saying, he's talking to people uh, and saying, you are pure, holy, sacred. And why? How is that even possible? And we look you are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this term, in Christ Jesus, is going to be important. It shows up a lot in this letter. Uh, it shows up a lot today. Um, there's a few things that are repeated again. The praise of his glory and in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, you are faithful. When you are in Christ Jesus, you are a saint, and it is not yours. Um, but we'll get more into that later. And then Paul finishes his greeting. Uh, With grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when Paul left, there was not peaceful. He left on a riot. Uh, he tried to get in there to preach the gospel. They didn't let him. Um, so this is Paul's normal and regular greeting. Um, so <clears throat> hold on a second here. Okay. So um, we're going to look at the next sentence, which is probably one of the longest sentences um, in our New Testament. So verses 3 to 14, or verses 3 to 11 are one single sentence. It's about 202 words long. Um, And when Paul opens this up, uh, this first word he used is blessed. So we're going to look at the first couple verses. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, there is that in Christ again, um, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless before him. Now, this word blessed that Paul says here, this is like in our world today, this is like 
hypersized. This is, this is bold, italic, underline. If you have an iPhone, you threw confetti with this. This blessed is like Paul's mind is exploding right now with the reality of what he's going to get into. And he didn't stop for 202 words. He just continued. It just goes boom, 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 all the way down. Paul is blurting out the glory of this sentence is, is so, it's, I'll never be able to get into the full, we'd be here for years. But the reality is Paul cannot contain his joy. This blessed is massive. Um, so he says, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in Christ, the every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. I, I had to ask the question, what does that mean? What is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? It seems kind of elevated um, and out of our realm. We're in the material world here, um, right? But every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Paul is looking forward to our inheritance, the making of all things new. But it is every worthwhile blessing ever, okay? If you are in Christ, you're secure. That's a spiritual blessing. If you, ha- you have an inheritance, which is everything, not inheritance here and now, an inheritance here and in the future, okay? When the culmination of all things come together, we were made to be back in full communion with God. So he, we're not going to be floating off in, in a heavenly realm. Heaven is coming to earth. The fullness of that. And, and he's pointing us towards the reality that that blessing, that every spiritual blessing we can look forward to, we can look up to and realize. So what does that do? I, I, I thought, what does that do to, to our material blessings now? Now what's interesting is that before you knew Jesus, before Christ saved you, uh, you probably enjoyed um, meals. You probably enjoyed fellowship. You enjoyed a lot of things. Um, and it's interesting because you may have looked at them like blessings, but blessings are normally from somebody. So to say that you were blessed outside of knowing Jesus or outside of even acknowledging a God or a power is kind of a, it kind of doesn't make sense. But here and now, as we eat the meals that we eat, as we fellowship with the people we fellowship, that even in and of itself becomes a spiritual reality. Because all things that you are blessed with, which are eating food, that's, that's a blessing to be able to have that. Shelter over your head, that is a blessing to be able to have that. And that is meant to do one thing, that is to roll off that blessing and roll into praise to his glorious grace. That is what all of those things are meant to do. The blessings are not meant to stop at the blessing. They are meant to roll off. It fulfills the blessing. Like it is one of the most amazing things that when we, are, when, when we are in Christ, we don't have to see these material blessings as evil or anything like that. They're redeemed at that point and they roll off to praise. They actually grow, your relationship will grow the more that you realize that what you eat and, and what you have and what you are blessed with comes from him ultimately. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's just one of those amazing things. Um, so in Christianity, there's a huge debate going on. So we're going to hit this head on. Um, so the next part of this verse says, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Um, now, I don't know where you're at with this idea of chosenness, but I really want you to hear today that you are not an afterthought. Okay? You're not an afterthought. So, you were known, okay? This, this is it's pretty explicit here. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This has some huge questions, right? W- what does that mean for the beginning? Did God know Adam and Eve were going to fall? Well, yeah. 
if we were chosen in him, then this entire redemptive history is actually prior to the creation of all things. This is, and this is what I mean by we can't dive incredibly deep into these things because this, this is great for sitting around at your small group and talking in your, in your shepherd groups about what this reality and what it pertains to because there are some serious things to wrestle in there. There are some serious tragedies like we were talking this morning, that little two-year-old girl, is that knowing about, yeah, it's a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. But you are not an afterthought. It is God's choice and he is willing to save you. He owes us nothing. This is one of the, this is one of the crazy things. We have to realize that we are in his world and his universe. This is his. We are partakers of this. And we're going to see that, like, the, that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created out of love. Um, but I want to jump ahead too far right now. Um, so it is Jesus who makes us holy. Um, so when I was reading that, it made me think of um, why do we need to be holy and blameless? Why can't God just take us where we're at? He does take us where we're at. But we need to be holy and blameless before him to be in his presence. Um, so you look at Moses. There was this time when Moses, he was up on the mountain, and um, he wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see God's face. Um, so if you read, uh, this is in Exodus 33. It says, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will, not, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but you shall not see my face. We need holiness because God is so perfect and pure that his holiness would utterly destroy us. Now, I don't know if you guys are comic book fans in here. I'm not. Um, but I have seen some of the movies. Um, so there's this scene that reminds me in X-Men, uh, if you know X-Men at all, uh, there's a scene where like Logan is going up and he's being destroyed by this phoenix. She's like the, she's, he's got a destroyer, she's lost control, everything's being obliterated, everything's just disintegrating around him, and he's going up, and, and the only reason he can stand there is because he can heal really fast, you know, and he can regenerate his skin. Logan would die in the presence of God. There is no there is no ability for us before God to stand. His presence without holiness will destroy everything that's tainted. This is why this holiness and blameless that God chose us to be holy and blameless. Not that we are in and of ourselves. We aren't. Jesus is. And we're going to get into the crux of what his blood does and this redeeming grace that he has in us. And it is immense. It is hard to even think about it and think that I'm going to have to work through that. Um, so, uh, I'm just going to, we're just going to move on, um, into, uh, verses five to 10. Um, so it says in love, he predestined us. Don't let that word kind of scare you, although it is kind of scary. <clears throat> in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That's a pretty big sentence. Um, so I don't know where you stand in the idea of God's sovereign will, but this, this sentence and this passage that we're reading today is completely packed with it. Um, so if we just look at the words that Paul decided to use in here, um, chosen, predestined, purpose of his will, in all wisdom and insight, mystery of his will, according to his purpose, a plan for the fullness of time. Paul is 
explicitly telling us that God is the supreme authority of the universe and he is working everything out to the purpose of his will. Now, it's, it, this is not an easy doctrine to, to understand. And, I, and really, I understand that. It was one of the biggest doctrines that I had to wrestle with when I first came to faith. I didn't understand how if God is sovereign over all and he chooses us and he understands and he knows that I have anything to do because my attitude turned into, well, well I don't have to do anything. If God knows all, then he's going to save whoever it is and that's it. Right? That, that's what goes on in, that, that was one of the biggest wrestles in my head. Well, simultaneously, think about the verse we read in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever so believes in him. There's this juxtaposition in scripture that, that those who believe in him will simultaneously in the other hand that God has chosen them. It is a difficult doctrine and it is nuanced throughout scripture, but I can tell you that Paul has no problem with this. Now, how we understand that and how it is to, and how we walk with understanding that doctrine um, has some serious implications. But I, I just want to make sure that we fly over and we hit that at least once, which is God is sovereign overall, and I'm sorry, um, but it's just the way it is. So we do have a measure of free will, but it is subservient to God's total will and sovereignty. Um, and it is a difficult thing to understand, I realize that. Um, so, <laughs> redemption. Um, so in this, uh, we don't have time to fly through the whole adoption process, um, and, but we will look at the redemption. So it says that we have redemption uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So the first time we learn about this idea of redemption is in Leviticus 25. Um, and it's funny because when I got this text, I was actually reading Leviticus 25 uh, that day. Um, and so when I read the text, it just made me think, whoa. So redemption... Uh, was when the laws were being given to Moses, uh, there was provision for near everything. There's a, there's a whole ton of laws. If you have time to read the book of Leviticus, it's a great read. Um, but in that, uh, when you have fallen in dismay, so say uh, you were in ancient Israel and you ran out of money um, and you had to sell yourself into slavery. Uh, if you had to sell yourself into slavery to a foreign nation, uh, there were rules of the redeeming there. Or if you had to sell yourself into slavery to another uh, one of your brothers, one of, the, one of the Jewish people, there were rules there. And what's interesting about redeeming is that, number one, if you're in the pickle, uh, you need to be redeemed. You, it's not a self-redeeming thing. So somebody has to do something, and you're in a situation that you need redeeming. And the other interesting thing I thought was that the redeemer actually had a choice to redeem you or not, which is another really interesting aspect, that it actually... In the case of being the redeemed, you're helpless on one end because you got yourself in there, and you're actually helpless on the other end. It requires somebody else's grace. Somebody else is going to pay to redeem that. And look what it says here. This part just shakes me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Like, Um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I just went off somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> that, that reality of the redeeming grace of Jesus. So he never had to do this. So God could have just wiped out the universe. Like, and part of me thinks, why didn't he? If you, look at, if you look out today and you look into history, the atrocities have, that have happened throughout history are insane. They're insane. What man has done on this earth is absolutely just atrocity after atrocity seemingly through the centuries. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Like, there's more, what, well, I mean, social media just helps us to see everybody's problems today. But it just, it's, it's, 
is so massive that God did not have to do this. And so we fly headlong into this thing called the covenant of redemption. So the way, I, the way that I've understood this, and this isn't explicitly talked about in Scripture, but it is most definitely implicit. It's implicit in this text here. So the covenant of redemption is the idea that, that the Godhead, before the foundations of the world began, that the Godhead, I, I always picture it like they're sitting around a table, uh, and they're going to make this, this universe, that God's going to plan to make this universe, and they're, who is going to be the one who is going to pay for the sins of these people? And Jesus is like, Putting, this is just a picture in my head, okay? I'm not saying this is what it looked like. This is just how it works in my head. Uh, and that Jesus is, I will. I'll be the sacrifice. And that the Holy Spirit is going to be our security. The God had worked throughout all of time now, but this was all started from the, the beginning. And here's, when we, th- when we have problems with God's sovereignty, we usually find those problems because it, it actually blocks something in us that it seems to take a choice away. The weight of this, the weight of the redemption and, and the weight of the sovereign grace of God and the, the, the predestination and the chosenness is so heavy because what it says is that at that table, what was going to happen on the cross was known about right there. Like, do you understand that? Does that weight sit upon you? They made a choice like the choice that God made in creating the world was going to cost him his son. Like that needs to sit over top of us and realize he does everything out of his love. For some reason, he created the world out of his love that we would share in seeing his glory throughout all of eternity. And it came at the cost of his only son dying on that cross and going there so that his blood can cover yours so that you may know the immeasurable riches of his grace. See, if we never made it out of the garden, we would never know what grace is. The fullness of love, so love has in and of itself, love, there is mercy in love and there is grace in love. There is even hate in love. And you think, there's no way. Well, of course. If you love something, then you will hate whatever destroys that. Do you understand that? Does that that click? You will. Just have a kid and and just think, if somebody hurts that child, the hate that I have for that child being hurt is going is to flow right out of my love for that child. It is equal and proportionate. It's unbelievable. That's why the weight of this text is, it is really heavy. He knew at the beginning when he was sitting at that table that it was going to cost him the life of his son and that he was going to pay for your sins on that cross. This is glorious. This is grace. And it's unbelievable. And we would never know that if we didn't have, if we weren't in this situation that we're in. So we get to revel. And look, look what it says. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. All of this was to the praise of his glorious grace. And then <clears throat> the crux of the entire scripture, the entire Bible, uh, is found in verse uh, 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So let's just do a quick flyover of scripture. It's not going to be long. Um, So we have God, he creates the world, right? And he puts everything, it's all good. Creates the cosmos. And on the last day he creates, he creates man, he puts him in the garden, he says, it is very good. So God creates this amazing creation. Um, And then... Uh, not too long after that, uh, Adam rebelled against the Lord's command and he fractured the cosmos. He fractured what was whole and it became fractured. It became a part. 
Okay? And he brought death into man, death on all mankind. And in that story, God puts the first seed of the redemptive act that he's going to do through history. Um, and we see God initiates the plan that he had from before the foundation of the world, where we just were, to rescue sinners and glorify his son. Do we get that? He is bringing all things back together. The plan for the entire thing was that in its fracturing that God would be glorified in bringing all of this back together. That the glory of God for the joy of all people might be expressed throughout all eternity. We will never ever get full of praising God. And it's not harps and harmonicas in heaven floating around. It is like we're going to garden and praise God for the fact that we got tomatoes. Like it's, it, we, I don't want you to jump into like this crazy spiritual realm, like God created man in the garden. We are on our way back there. When the city of God, when the city of heaven comes down onto earth, when the full, like if you want Revelation 21, go into there and just read that and have your mind blown. That he is going to combine all things. And this was the purpose of what he's doing. This is the entire scripture altogether. The big boom explosion and the bringing it all back together for the glory of his name. Um, two more things I want to look at today. Um, or in the last sentences. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, here it is again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory here. Um, so Paul is linking us, uh, verse 12, he says that uh, we who are the first to hope in Christ. Now this is, Paul is talking now here, he, when we hear the we in the, in the sentence that he talks, he, he says, we, us, we, us, we, us, he's talking about the entire church. In this sentence, he's talking about the Jewish people. And he, he qualifies that by saying, we who were the first to hope in Christ. So they were the ones that the promise came to, right? It was the people of Israel that had the prophets, the law, and all these things that were pointing towards the Christ. The Christ just means the anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name, it just means the anointed one, the Messiah. So they were the first to hope in this who was to come. And Paul, this you also, when I first read this, blew me away. Because he's linking the whole Old Testament. You, you don't have the New Testament, the other Old Testament. We, we need that, it's, it's the foundation of it. But Paul is linking us to that reality, okay? That we are in that storyline. And right back, when, when Abraham, even when the promise, and we know that, we look, you know, we Gentile Christians look later on and be like, see, we were in there, right? The promises to all the families of the earth. And it's true. But Paul is linking us to this Jewish people, and he qualifies it by saying, we were the first to hope in Christ. And now, listen to this, and you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Um, so what does it mean to be sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? Well, it means you're far more secure than you think. We often have an easy time of judging ourselves based upon our folly and think that God's love for us is equivocated by how well we're doing. Um, and we know this, right? We know that when we're, when we're doing better and we haven't seen any sin in our lives, we can boast in what we've done and think that God is well more pleased with us. But do you realize that when you first believe that that promised Holy Spirit is actually dwelling in you and this is the guarantee of your inheritance, you're far more secure than you think. 
And this, this security that you have is based on God, who, if you look throughout the entire story that we just talked about, has done a pretty good job at orchestrating history. The, the promises made from the garden to Jesus Christ were a long time apart. The, pro, the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament, prophets that pointed to Christ, are so accurate, it boggles the mind. It is, God has been orchestrating time perfectly. Perfectly. And you have this guarantee that, that if you're in Christ, and I'm not saying everybody in this room is in Christ, I'm saying if you are in Christ, a believer, a follower, what this is going to do to your heart, this is just going to, this is going to warm your heart. It is your, your performance, your Christian performance, isn't going to be rated. You're, the fact that you're in Christ and the Spirit lives in you, your security is dwelt. It's safe. It is very safe. We stumble, we waver, but God is faithful. Amen. Um, and then, the last thing I want us to see is that the entire Godhead is at work in this. Um, so we see that God has chose us and that he has started this plan. And we've, we've talked about this. I just want to make sure that we get in because it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, the entire Godhead is in this. So God the Father chooses uh, and he is working out his plan for the fullness of time. Uh, God the Son saves us through his perfect obedience and obedience even to death on a cross. And God the Spirit lives in us. So what does that mean for us today? Um, Paul must have meditated on these things for quite some time. And I would say that if you have a chance, and you do, um, read these words, read 1 to 14 over and over and over again. Even the whole book, but 1 to 14 is so packed. And meditate on what that means. Meditate on what is going on in that text and just the just serious depth of what is happening. So a good way to do that is, um, what I like to do is I like to write out the scripture and I kind of just pick out the little things and I kind of rewrite it and kind of explain a little bit of what's going on in there. And as you start to do that, this text will open up and it, it blows your mind. Paul wrote blessed and it was the biggest blessed that he has wrote that I've seen him write. Um, because he is trying to help you grasp and help you understand the seriousness and the depth to this God that we serve and that loves us. His love is so much greater than we can possibly imagine. We are so much more secure in that love than we can possibly imagine. It is so good and such a blessing that Paul would write these words to remind the Ephesian Christians who were predominantly Gentiles. There's only a few Jewish people here. They kind of rejected him. This is mostly pagan, ex-worshipping, ex hanging out in the temple of Artemis. Like, these are mostly people who have some serious scars on their history and on their life. God saves sinners. Guys, like, he saves sinners. It doesn't matter. Your, your sin, when, you, when God saves you from where you're at, when Jesus comes into your life and saves you, that sin that you had, no matter how egregious that sin is, is paid for on the cross. There is not a, met, there's not a standard that Jesus' saving grace does not fly above. There's no sin greater than the power of a cross. Just remember that. And we should, be, we should be in awe of that. We should really be in awe of that. Um, so as I sat on this passage during the week, it did, it hit me um, quite hard over and over and over again. Um, but Paul is saying that there is no greater thing in this life to live for. We need, 
we need to be people who are so affected by this reality that we can passionately, passionately proclaim the glory of God for the joy of all people. Paul is unbelievably passionate here. As he works to sing, as he works out what's going on in here, as we do that together, as you guys do that in your individual lives, I just hope that you would actually be passionate about the reality of what is happening here. Like, do we really believe the severity of the cross and the, the depth of the love that God spent on that on our behalf to save us? And do we understand that it is not for us, but it is for the glory of him? Right? We are going to be praising his glory. If you are in Christ, we are going to be praising his glory for what he has done for all eternity. It will never grow old. It will never be something that we put on a bookshelf and never touch again. This is one of the most glorious sentences ever written in Scripture. And we need to meditate that and understand that. And it, what it needs to do is it needs to actually bite into our lives and produce into us a passion, right? To know, because we don't know who is saved, this is a funny thing. I always, thought, I always think about, when I think about salvation, I think about, like, we're, we're like at this airport with just a name. We don't even know. We don't even know what the name says. We're walking around, and as we tell people about Christ and what he has done in our life and how he has saved us, and what, as we go about and do that, we don't know who God has chosen. But for some reason, God is including you and I to observe the glory of the salvation in people's lives. There is no greater thing to see someone go from dead to love, to living. Like when God said in the garden, in this day you shall surely die, it's really weird because Adam never dropped dead that day. The reality is Adam died that day. Spiritual death is true death. This body is going to perish and pass away. That day that Adam sinned in the garden and fractured out the universe, he died in that day because God said that apart from him, no one can live. He is the source of all life. And he is calling us into life. And we need to be excited about that. Our glorious inheritance is beyond what you can possibly imagine. It is amazing. There is no brokenness. There is no tears. That will pass away. And we will be in awestruck. We'll be in community, for one, praising the glory of God. And we're going to be doing that just in, just in living. I can't wait to garden in eternity. I mean, I just think it's one of the coolest things. Like, and we will be with Jesus for all of time. Uh, so I hope that wasn't too confusing. Um, and I hope you're encouraged today. <laughs> so we're going to pray. Short and sweet, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord Jesus, you, um, the, the price that you paid on the cross when you were in the garden, uh, we thank you for that, that you were obedient to the will of the Father. And we thank you, Spirit, for living and dwelling in us. Uh, we are so uh, blown away by your grace and your mercy. Uh, Lord, would you grow in us a, a greater love for you? Would you grow in us a greater maturity, Lord? And as we meditate on these passages and we meditate on you and our heart stays focused on you, Lord, um, we just want to be, um, we just want to have our eyes lifted up to you. May all the things of this world, Lord, and all the, all the distractions just fade away as we look into your glorious light and the things um, that you have for us. Uh, so, Lord, we just praise you for you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever, uh, and you are faithful. We thank you. We praise you. Amen.